This is a message for those that work in manufacturing across the UK and Ireland. Do your engineering maintenance stores keep you awake at night? Are your engineers spending excessive time sourcing and finding the spare parts they need? Eric's on-site teams take responsibility for your indirect supply chain, including both your MRO procurement and inventory control. And, as the name suggests, we do this while being based on your site. For more information, visit www.erics.co.uk forward slash em. This episode of Engineering Matters is supported by The Optimistic Outlook. The Optimistic Outlook is a great listen for fans of Engineering Matters. It is a podcast for anyone intrigued by innovation across sectors, whether you're in healthcare, infrastructure, energy or beyond. The show is hosted by Barbara Hampton, CEO of Siemens USA, and offers invaluable insights relevant and impactful for all industries. I think what you're really going to like is that Barbara Hampton is not just a CEO, she's a thought leader in the corporate world. In the podcast, you often learn from her journey to the top of Siemens USA, getting invaluable lessons on leadership, decision-making, and navigating the complexities of the modern workplace. Barbara brings a wealth of knowledge, not just about manufacturing, but about its ripple effects across all sectors. Her perspective illuminates how manufacturing innovations are setting the pace for changes in healthcare, infrastructure development, energy sustainability, and more. Regardless of your industry, the optimistic outlook is a source of motivation and forward-thinking ideas. Barbara's expertise in connecting dots between manufacturing and other sectors reveals actionable strategies for innovation and leadership in any field. We invite you to explore the optimistic outlook and join a broad audience that values transformative ideas, including us. Search for the optimistic outlook wherever you get your podcasts. On landfill sites, biogas emissions escape into the atmosphere, exacerbating climate change. But these can be transformed, powering cities and providing cutting-edge materials for construction. So landfill gas is about 55% methane, and we'll run gas generators on either dirty or cleaned-up biomethane derived from that landfill gas. In rice paddies, stubble remains after every harvest. How can this be retrieved and used, cutting waste while spurring economic development? Let's say the combine comes and chops the grain off, but you've got a stubble and you've got to come with a tractor and you've got to chop that down at the base. And then you've got to come with another tractor and rake it up, another tractor and bale it, and another tractor in a trailer and take the bales out, which is not efficient, but it at least it works. Can we reconsider the power of repair, giving our belongings a second chance instead of adding to waste? Could the act of fixing things not only save money, but also contribute to a more sustainable and impactful way of living? What started as a hashtag became a community, the community became a movement. And the idea of repair the waste was to uh, draw the attention from business leaders to the importance of investing, developing the capabilities to repair rather than just replace it with boards. Kind of a breaking the cycle of make, break and replace. 
the world is full of e-waste. How can vehicle manufacturers deliver the robust reliability that farmers and foresters need while cutting emissions and using materials sustainably? It's an electric version of a, of a lifestyle a vehicle like a Land Rover Defender um, for, for camping, recreational use. And um, as, we, as we went into this, into this project and, and as we started talking to more and more people about it, it became apparent that there was like a really strong commercial use case for the vehicle. So we, we made a bit of a pivot and moved towards commercial heavy duty vehicles rather than lifestyle. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Johnny Dowling. And I'm Rian Owen. This is one of 12 episodes originally aired between the 5th and 17th of February 2024 presenting the shortlisted entries for the Engineering Matters Awards. In this episode, we're looking at the shortlisted entries in the Sustainability Champion Award category. The Engineering Matters Sustainability Champion Awards recognise those playing a significant role in reducing waste, recycling materials or reusing materials. This is the second episode of two on sustainability. Zero Carbon Ventures are shortlisted for their development of technologies and business models for reuse of waste in construction. Straw Innovations are shortlisted for their approach to reusing rice straw. ABI Electronics are shortlisted for their Repair Don't Waste scheme. Monroe are shortlisted for their M280 Sustainable Electric Vehicle. Governments and major industries have signed up to 2030 emission reduction targets. Landfills are the third largest source of human-related methane emissions in many countries, including the US, where they account for about 14% of the total. So landfill gas is about 55% methane, and we'll run gas generators on either dirty or cleaned up biomethane derived from that landfill gas. That was Robbie Kirk, who was Chief Strategy Officer of Zero Carbon Ventures at the time of the interview. The company is working on two projects in the Middle East. It will design and supply systems to make use of this waste gas. It's a system. The idea of putting it on a landfill was, was something that we, we kind of envisaged with the Lividians. And we've done all the, say, the, the conceptual pre-front-end engineering design of what you're going to do and all the mass balance and the carbon measurements and stuff like that internally. And that's, that's allowed us to try and lock down these two projects. One of them is going to be a project that we run ourselves on, on behalf of the municipality in Egypt. They're just giving us access for the site. So we will then invest on our kit. The other one in Abu, the other one in Abu Dhabi is... Um, is going to be um, where that organisation would pay us to go and deliver that. Zero Carbon Ventures is working with governments and municipalities to establish new business models that make use of biomethane. They install systems to collect methane as it's produced in landfills. They then find ways to make use of this waste. These include generating electricity, producing hydrogen. The methane can even be used to create graphene, which can then strengthen building materials. 
The company's work on this project has also been shortlisted in the net zero, innovation and environment categories. Straw Innovations is an agriculture-based venture that aims to make use of leftover rice straw. Okay, so I would take the story back to 11 or 12 years ago. I had been doing consultancy internationally from the UK on bioenergy and integrating bioenergy with food production. Uh, not food versus fuel, but food and fuel together that are complementary and I moved to the Philippines to try to develop that further. Um, I ended up being based in the grounds of the International Rice Research Institute in the Philippines, which is sort of the world's premier um, rice research institute, the hub of rice research globally. And that led me to discover the problem with the, the straw. At that stage, this was now 10 years ago, it wasn't really understood or known what you know what the problem was there'd been a study here a study there this had been done in vietnam this has been done in thailand japan north india but there was a need to bring it all together and so the british government commissioned one of if not the most comprehensive studies ever done on rice straw and the barriers to using it for bioenergy and i ended up leading that study and for three years, we just brought into one place, one platform, the disparate knowledge and put it out there so that anyone could read it. I just thought, well, you could say, well, that was a nice project. What would I do next? Um, you know, or you could say, someone's got to do something about this. It's terrible. 300 million tons of rice straw going up in smoke every year. How can we avoid that? and we knew the barriers we've been systematic about outlining what the four barriers were to using rice straw i thought we've got to overcome all four of those simultaneously how are we going to do it and that's when i started straw innovations that was 2016 2017. that was craig jameson founder and director at straw innovation facing the prospect of utilizing rice straw for bioenergy the team encountered four significant challenges the first one is, or the first two are actually te technical or techno-economic. The first is, how do you get the straw out of the field in the first place? All the technologies for collecting straw are designed for dry fields, okay? So even if, yeah, let's say the combine comes and chops the grain off, but you've got a stubble and you've got a come with a tractor and you've got to chop that down at the base and then you're going to come with another tractor and rake it up another tractor and bale it and another tractor in a trailer and take the bales out um, which is not efficient but it at least it works but in the rice field imagine if you just had a typhoon come over that field is boggy at best at worst completely flooded that's going to just make a spaghetti soup out of your your straw covered in mud and useless so we needed to redesign how rice is harvested and integrate the straw collection at the same time so that was the first obstacle the physical barrier of how to get it out of these boggy paddy fields 
The second is straw has a lot of quite abrasive components to it. It's got a lot of silica, it's high in ash content. And that, if you're gonna use it for bioenergy, you put it into a boiler, good luck. You probably need a new boiler before too long. Um, and even chopping it is a, is a problem. Uh, sometimes it's wet, you know, so what, do you, what technology are you going to use to economically use that um, biomass resource? And because of those first two techno-economical problems, the third follows on from that. No one had done anything commercially successfully uh, with rice straw for bioenergy that we could see on, on any scale. So we worked on all three of those with the new project and the new company. The fourth was uh, the public policies, the government policies. Very often governments have just banned straw burning. Naughty farmers, you know, slap wrists, there's a fine. Um, but without actually providing an alternative, what are you doing? You're just making criminals of all your farmers. They've got no alternative. Um, and so we needed to work with governments to inform their policies of what works and what doesn't with um, with that. So that has all been condensed into these projects that I've been doing since then to um, have something that can be scalable and, and work across Asia. This principle is to be tested by farmers who may only own a couple of acres of land compared to the hundreds of acres in one farm in a more developed country. The individual farmers where we are are not like the farmers in the UK that might have hundreds of hectares. It's typically two hectares or so. Uh, some of them are organized into cooperatives or farmer associations, um, but still they tend to be quite autonomous in making the decision. So we've had social scientists working with us from Aston University, uh, from the University of the Philippines, to ask farmers, you know, what are you doing with your straw? What are your energy needs and priorities? And we've been listening as a company to that to tailor our business model to, to fit their needs. So that's part of the research. Uh, another part is developing the technologies in the first place, um, and then packaging all that as a complete uh, business. So at the moment, we've got a new project that started last year, end of last year, um, September last year, to get us to commercialize our technologies and start trading and show it working uh, in the field. Uh, because the, the mantra of the farmers here is to see is to believe. Seeing is believing. And uh, plenty of people come up with wacky ideas that don't really work when they see the light of day so they want to see it working and we're setting it up and doing it the hard way getting those hard miles of speaking to the farmers and showing our technologies and getting their buy-in and we're starting to get there now where farmers who are initially skeptical are coming back and saying oh i've heard good things about your equipment can you do our field next time um and so yeah that that that's an ongoing thing. That's not our ultimate business model that we'll do everywhere, but that's our demonstration, which also trains up my team. It also 
enables us to go through different iterations of our technologies and then tweak them and improve them. You can't do that behind a desk in London. You know, you've got to be out in the field um, doing it and, and fixing it when it doesn't work. The company's approach includes the development of specialised combine harvesters and partnerships for efficient straw processing. Trials with individual farmers focus on demonstrating the technology's viability, with ongoing efforts to scale up the project by engaging more farmers. Really, I, I would emphasise the fact that this is, although it's emerging now, when we started this, people weren't really aware of just how bad emissions were from rice. I was at a conference a few weeks ago that's only held every four years. And I was speaking to someone who's been working in rice research for 16 years. He never knew until now how bad the emissions are from, from rice. It's just, oh, rice is live, you know, it's green. And this is a ticking time bomb that, you know, we've got to decarbonize. Methane is one of the most potent and fast acting greenhouse gases for it to have any chance of, and methane is running away. It's out of control globally if we're to have any chance of meeting our climate targets that is vital to get under control and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money we are here to demonstrate that um, so yeah we're in an exciting place and we're hoping to um, scale up rapidly once we've uh, yeah, we're planning a funding round next year and take this to those who want it and need it and um, help secure a more prosperous future for the rice industry. The recent expansion involves recruiting additional team members and addressing operational and sale challenges to achieve a comprehensive net zero solution for the environmental issues associated with rice straw. The company's work on this project has also been shortlisted in the net zero and innovation categories. So, so my name is William Santos, I'm the Head of Sales and Marketing at ABI Electronics here in Barnsley. So uh, I've been with the company for the last 16 years and ABI has been in the market for 40 years. We specialize in designing manufacturing equipment which is used uh, for the sustainment, for the repair and maintenance of critical electronic systems. So basically circuit boards used across the industry, so from defense to aerospace, rail transport, energy, and so on. Basically everything that um, uh, we have around us rely on circuit boards to operate. And these circuit, circuit boards, they are designed to last many years. But, you know, the components in them, they degrade, they fail, they break down. So basically what we do here at TBI would be developed uh, a range of technologies that allow technicians and engineers to know exactly which component failed on the board and replace just a penny worth part, saving potentially a circuit board that could cost ten, tens of thousands of pounds if it is, for instance, using it in aviation or rail transport or defense. In 2015, we created the uh, this initiative called Repair Don't Waste. What started as a hashtag became a community, the, became, the community became a movement. And the idea of Repair Don't Waste was to uh, draw the attention from business leaders to the importance of investing, developing the capabilities 
to repair rather than just replace it with boards. Kind of a breaking the cycle of make, break and replace. Um, the world is uh, um, full of e-waste. The annual global production of e-waste has reached approximately 60 million tonnes, one third originating from various industries. This e-waste stems from assembly lines, rail transport, defence, aviation and energy sectors, including wind turbines and solar panels. Notably, a single wind turbine needs between 15 and 20 circuit boards for its operation. If, if one breaks down, you know, just because one component failed, we, we believe that you shouldn't just be throwing away all that uh, asset, you know, with obviously required a lot of energy, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, natural resources for its production. And it could last decades if it's looked after well. So, so we advocate for, for companies to uh, invest in, in develop their own capabilities, but the reality is a lot of the organizations, managers, for instance, directors, they just don't know what to do, how to start, how do I create a lab, what kind of people should I be looking for into recruiting, what kind of standards I should be uh, training them on, what kind of equipment they would be needing in the lab. So that's what Repair Don't Waste uh, is about. RepairDon'tWaste.com was launched last year. It seeks to reduce waste, prioritize sustainability and embrace the principles of the circular economy. I'm, I'm hoping that we're seeing the end of greenwashing in industry. That sustainability in industry is just being driven by people putting solar panels on their rooftops, which is good, but that's not enough. So, so we want to uh, talk about you know the practicalities, or give some practical examples, and 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 uh, you know influence decision making within industry, so that they could you know embrace repair than waste. And I think obviously the award in obviously engineering matters would provide that uh, uh, platform for the for the movement, bringing that recognition as well, making more people aware that the movement exists and there is a way, there is a solution. You shouldn't just be throwing things away just because the manufacturer said it's impossible to be repaired. The Munro M280 is an all-electric four-wheel drive built for demanding off-road environments. So um, Monroe was founded by myself and Ross Anderson in 2019. Our original concept for, for Monroe is to create a, a, what is essentially a leisure vehicle. It's an electric version of a, of a lifestyle um, a vehicle like a Land Rover Defender um, for, for camping, recreational use. And um, as, we, as we went into this, uh, into this project and, and as we started talking to more and more people about it, it became apparent that there was like a really strong commercial use case for the vehicle. So we, we made a bit of a pivot and moved towards uh, commercial heavy duty vehicles rather than lifestyle. It seemed apparent that there'd be quite a lot of contention in the lifestyle uh, category and there already is. There's, there's plenty of electric vehicles now that meet that kind of like outdoorsy um, lifestyle, but commercial is still a an area that is uh, been a little bit neglected and left behind. So. That's, that's uh, basically uh, how, how Munro's is today got started. That was Russ Peterson, the co-founder of Munro Vehicles. By designing robust vehicles with modular components, they can meet the needs of commercial users. 
and these aim to be a long-term investment with the possibility of upgrade and repair for decades to come. Yeah, so I mean, the longer we can make the vehicle last, the better from both a, a, a commercial, a financial payback, and also, as I say, the carbon emissions of the of the manufacturing cycle of the vehicle. And when we look at the sort of vehicles that uh, were in commercial use up until recently, so the Land Rover Defender is a, is a cracking example of, you know, there's, there's companies that we speak to day in, day out that made those vehicles last 20, 30 or more years. And unfortunately, they had to be retired for um, for a number of reasons and, and primarily around safety. So like safety is like a massive focus for us is making sure that we build something that's acceptable from a, a safety standpoint. But they, when when we speak to these fleet operators and commercial operators, like they're not, they're not thrilled with the idea that they're now throwing vehicles away every three or five years. Some some fleet operators uh, subscribe to that that way of thinking, but a lot of them kind of miss the the maintainability of their previous fleet um, and and being able to you know uh, modify it and 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 have the vehicle evolve as their business evolves as well. The Munro M170 and M280 are powerful electric SUVs built for adventure. The M170 is a more affordable option for everyday driving and light off-roading, while the M280 is ideal for demanding treks and professional use. Munro's M170 and M280 offer a modern take on electric off-road performance in comparison to similar vehicles. The company's work on this project has also been shortlisted in the net zero category. The engines we've looked at today are all playing an important role in creating sustainability within the engineering industry. Their work will be celebrated at the Engineering Matters Awards Ceremony in London at the end of March. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and produced by Kiri Yeranathan and hosted by me, Johnny Dowling, and by Rian Owen. Editing by Will North. Series supervision by John Young, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, and the man who judges all that we do is Rory Harris. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, and on LinkedIn. <laughs>